The end of the national state of disaster is a firm statement of our determination to live our lives and rebuild our country even as this virus remains in our midst. It should give all of us the confidence to return to the lives we led before the pandemic with a few simple adjustments to protect those around us. After 750 days, President Cyril Ramaphosa lifted the country's state of disaster at midnight on Monday. Addressing the nation, he said during the third wave in July last year, the highest average daily number of COVID-related deaths was 420. In the fourth wave in February this year, the highest daily number was 240. And in the past week, that number dropped to just 12. We are hopeful that the worst is behind us and we are confident that there are only better days that lie ahead. This is now the time to grow our economy. Now is the time to get our country back on track and this is the time for us to heal, to recover and to rebuild. I'm Catherine Rice and you're listening to The Story. This week we're talking to experts and journalists about what the lifting of the state of disaster will mean for you and whether we should be worried about the draft health regulations currently under consideration. Health journalist for News24, Nelisiwe Msomi, joins us now from our Johannesburg studio. Nelisiwe, thank you so much for your time. What are the regulations that will remain in place? Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Um, The regulations that will remain in place are firstly, wearing masks indoors will will still remain in place. The regulations on gatherings, uh, we still have limitations on gatherings. We also have uh, our international travel regulations where you would have to present a COVID test that's not older than 72 hours or a, a vaccine certificate. And if you uh, if you don't have any of those, you'll, you'll have an antigen test um, at the airport to te- whether to test whether you have COVID or not. Um, we still have the 350 social uh, relief distress grant, and um, also the COVID-19 injury no fault compensation scheme that w- that is still part of the regulations that will remain in place. Nelisiwe, tell us about the 30-day transition period for draft health regulations to be promulgated under the National Health Act and what that will mean. So during this transition period, we're basically trying to ensure that uh, the strides that we have made in managing the virus remain intact and uh, the new uh, regulations that, uh, that are currently open for public comment are basically our localized way of managing the virus. So it's basically how we are turning the pandemic into an epidemic and how uh, these regulations are going to be how we manage the virus in a very localized way, uh, in a manner that is that speaks to our conditions as South Africa. The president urged people to get vaccinated as the virus remains among us, as you've said. But what are the current stats on that? So we have just under 49% of the adult population that have had at least one vaccine shot. Um, And about 44.2% of adults are fully vaccinated. And
And Nelisiwe, what about quarantining? If, for example, I contract COVID, I must quarantine, correct? But what about the rest of my family? So if you get COVID, um, let's say you're asymptomatic or your symptoms are mild, you don't have to quarantine. But um, you would have to wear a mask, especially if you are living with other people. You need to keep a mask intact so we can reduce the chances of you transmitting the virus to other people. And Nelisi, when are we expecting the fifth wave? So, so far, predictions uh, from experts are expecting the fifth wave between um, the end of April or early May. This will be our winter wave uh, or the start of our winter wave. But also because of our population immunity that is quite high, we're not expecting uh, a wave that will be as hard as the previous waves because we have quite a high population immunity. And Nelisiwe, what about uh, flu, for example? Are, are we going to see a huge upsurge in people suffering from flu this year? I mean, that's kind of was on the back burner for the last two years. Are we going to see some kind of surge in, in that department? It is normal to see uh, an increase in flu because in uh, other respiratory diseases, as we go into winter, it's, uh, that's where they peak. So we may see that because a COVID did help with uh, social distancing, masking in uh, preventing uh, or decreasing our flu cases, uh, we may see an increase, but only time can tell. And what about other diseases like communicable diseases? Are we going to see a backlog in people having not received treatment during COVID? Um, do you think that's going to be quite a problem in our in our near imminent future? And we are already seeing that. We've seen that with TB, for example, uh, we've seen that with HIV, when people couldn't access their medication because of the lockdowns, or we've seen the lack of adherence to medication. So uh, we are going to be dealing with the consequences of that. Thank you so much for your time. That was Nella Siwe Nsoni, health journalist for News24. We're now joined by political analyst Sanusha Naidu. Sanusha, good morning and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Catherine, and lovely for the invitation and much appreciated to be on the podcast. Sanusha, was the move to lift the state of disaster simply a way to stave off litigation by other political parties and organizations who have been fighting for it to be lifted for some time now? I partly think it was that. I think it, it, it you know, the problem with it, it was how long could the government and the president, as well as his uh, cabinet ministers, kind of justify its existence, considering that the numbers were, were, were becoming much more manageable. It wasn't, we weren't in a, in a wave. Also, I think the challenge was whether or not the motivation for why the state of disaster emerged in the first place in terms of the fifth wave we saw in 2020 and the need to try and manage control, manage uh, transmission and so forth, um, kind of became something that had to be done by ordinary people, by the citizenry. And so I think this idea that you could stave off litigation was partly it, but also the question of justification, on the other hand, was was definitely a consideration. Partly, in my opinion, and and, and the way you interpret this is the state of, of disaster doesn't necessarily reduce transmission. It doesn't necessarily mitigate uh, it, it offers a mitigation of risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we stave off any potential further waves. 
And I think that is what is important for us because it acts as a stopgap measure. It kind of deals with the situation here and now. But then, of course, the question is what happens when that wave tends to subside, you know, ebb, peak and, uh, and, and decline. So I think to a large extent, um, the justification needed to be understood whether or not you needed to also return the economy, the society to some level of normalcy. But that normalcy in the basis of what the president had said in the speech was aligned to the idea that society has to also now find its ventilation, both figuratively and, and, and literally in terms of how we need to re redefine or, or reorganize our lives, but also in terms of the normalcy of going back to our lives. And Sanusha, what about the new draft health regulations? Do we need to be concerned about them? Is the government not just shifting power under the guise of the National Health Act? It's a very controversial, it's a very sensitive one, Catherine. I think under the basis of the new guidelines with regard to the, the health and the new, the, the new health laws or rules, I think the challenge is really around how much of that needs to take place in terms of the health ministry. Now, we know that one of the key issues for us in South Africa is the number of people that have been vaccinated. We haven't reached the threshold or even part of the threshold in terms of where our vaccination should be in terms of our population, considering our population being around about 60 million people. We should be around about 40, I mean, about 40 million people have been vaccinated, both including the two, the two doses, if you took a Pfizer, if you took a Johnson & Johnson, and now we're going with the booster. And I think the, trans, the, the, the transmissibility of these variants that we are dealing with, again, is linked to this idea of how do we actually utilize the interventions that we have. One of the things I thought was very interesting that has been a debate and definitely the question around uh, around the, the way in which the, 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 the whole situation around this intervention around the health issues and the, and the vaccination was communication. You know, do we restrict movement? Do we restrict uh, people's liberties? Because that's what was happening in terms of the, the, the different levels under the State of Disaster Act. But the first thing that we have to be very careful of is what does the what does the, the the National Health Act and the rules under it mean for our personal liberties? What is the one of the big challenges I think in 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 terms of um, how it's how it's art or how it's characterized or how it's framed is whether or not we have to basically um, be able to think about our own medical responsibility, or does the state still need to think of those medical responsibilities? Now, the problem with, with the draft act is that it kind of also enables the, the health department to think about uh, the ways in which it wants to deal with the situation in terms of quarantine, in terms of isolation, in terms of how do you want to go about doing that? Not everybody's going to have the same kind of environment or the same kind of access to, the, to an environment that enables them to self-isolate or self-quarantine. How do you have access to a, 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 a private position? I think the question here for me very much is where there's lack of access to your medical facilities, your medical uh, fraternity, your, your, your medical um, uh, resources, it actually then doesn't bode well for, for some sections of society who may actually be 
not able to, 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 to isolate in a well-ventilated room. Remember, we live in a very spatially disorganized and a spatially uh, unequal society. And so some people will have access and some people will not. The national insurance help issue or plan before parliament becomes critical as well, because that's also, that's also in limbo. So whether or not there is consensus and um, correlation between these uh, different rules and of course the national insurance health in terms of access and so forth it's it, it, it's not there yet i think the, the 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 point is that the rules have gone uh and been basically uh given to the ministry of health or the new under the new health act but the challenge is that structural conditions are not necessarily there for some of these rules to be implemented do you think we can expect to see litigation against the government? Some political parties believe the government is not relinquishing the regulatory powers it contained under the state of disaster. I think that where it infringes on your rights, where it kind of imposes um, sets of rules, like for example, questions around you know how do you how do you how do you monitor certain levels of these rules? I think in terms of areas that are gray, areas that are unpredictable in terms of impact. Um, I think, I think any, any kind of legislation that's before parliament opens up its space for litigation because there are elements in, that, in, those, in, those, uh, in those legislation. And in particular with these rules, the question of civil liberty comes up a lot. And if political parties, and not just political parties, I think even if other civil society organizations uh, um, uh, and other associations or other uh, groups feel that there's a violation of those rights or a violation of the constitution, then we could definitely expect the question around litigation happening. We, I think the problem we have in South Africa is that people are, are challenging the state in terms of how deep these rules go into your personal space. And I think the other angle to this is that if the state is not delivering on its services, if the state is not providing uh, good sanitation, not providing good ventilated housing, not doing what it's supposed to do as a state in terms of service delivery, I mean, that is also something that could be challenged because you, you, you're making the onus and the burden on, 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 on people to become responsible during the, uh, under these rules. But at the same time, there's just no kind of sustainable housing, sustainable community development, sustainable sanitation. Everything is just very much um, obscured by the fact that we are behind the curve when it comes to socioeconomic development. Sunusha, so, there's also been criticism about the draft health regulations, that they're not informed by the latest scientific evidence. Can you comment on that? The problem with the, with the draft legislation, again, is reactive to a context, and it's reactive to a, a certain way in which a government and the, and the uh, health ministry has conceptualized and viewed what was what is going on in terms of their experience from the previous waves and from the previous uh, variants of the, the the virus. I think the problem is that you've got to consult with your key scientists in the room. I know that CDC and other the NICD and others are all very key actors and drivers uh, that make up the the um, 
the, the, the medical council and part of the, 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 the president's advisory group and the minister's advisory group and so forth. But I suspect part of the problem is to understand the, the, the DNA, the RNA, and the mutation of, the, of, of, of strains. And right now, what you're beginning to see is that the, the challenge of, of, of these strains is that it's not the same. They have, it, it has dif differential impacts. It has, it has created uh, kinds of different kinds of, 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 of impacts. In other words, you will see a bigger amount of people get infected with COVID-19, but then we're reaching flu season and flu season is normal. So for the last two years, we, we looked at flu season and we said, it's not flu season, it's COVID-19. And so all of our testing, when you go for testing in, in, in any hospital clinic or private uh, uh, clinic or whatever, you are testing now for specific things in terms of what the symptoms have been set down in terms of COVID-19. But remember, this is a very clever virus. It mutates, it adapts, it kind of becomes part of you in so many ways. And so we are now entering the phase where it's going to be flu season uh, 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 and, and flu season as we probably have experienced before, but in a little bit more intensity. And the question is, do are we only looking for the respiratory path, uh, pathogen? Are we only looking for the respiratory disease? Are we only looking for those symptoms that we have defined as the COVID-19? I think that's where government also has to find that flexibility of what is, what is, what is going to become the flu season all over again, which for the last two, two and a half years, we were in, interrupted. So from my personal experience, you know, um, we are going to see people in my family that are getting sick, but they're getting sick, not with such major symptoms as we have seen previously. Yes, they are saying that they have COVID, but some of them are saying it's a normal flu that I normally pick up at this time of year. What's going to be key to this is whether or not we try and get more people to take the vaccine. It doesn't only have to be about COVID-19 vaccinations. It's flu vaccinations as well. So this, so this mutation of the strain of, 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 of COVID and its different variants of COVID um, also makes us feel as if we're sitting in this, um, in this kind of bubble that everything is COVID. Uh, but maybe right now we're entering a period where it's about normal flu and it's a normal occurrence. Every pre-winter in South Africa, you'll start seeing people getting sick. The symptoms are there. But I guess we're also very afraid that when we see the symptoms, we immediately think we have COVID. COVID has been part of our lives for so long now. We, we, we just, you're never sure if your sniffle is actually flu mm -hmm. or COVID. And I think that'll take a while to change. Thank you so much for your time and for your insights. That's all we have time for this week on The Story. Join us again next week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was recorded by Amy Gibbings.